A year has now passed since Pope Francis' apostolic letter to his custodes. Last year, after last AGM, I went to Rome to attend the annual Simon Pontificum pilgrimage and had, as usual on these occasions for me, um, a round of meetings with people who I thought might be able to shed light on this document, ranging from curial officials to journalists. I'm very grateful to them and learned a great deal, but I did not come away with a nice, simple answer to the most important question I put to them. That question, which I asked everywhere I went, was, who is the target of Traditionis Cassides? The document says some quite strange, some quite bitter things about those associated in some way with the traditional mass. But who exactly are they? Is it everyone who goes near it? Um, are they all tainted by that? Is it a minority spoiling it for everyone else? Is it the laity or the clergy? Is it annoying people with YouTube channels and Patreon accounts? Is it priests who exasperate their bishops? Is it the Americans? Is it the Shark pilgrimage? Is it the SSPX? Is it Latin Mass Society? Um, and seriously, every one of the things I've just mentioned has been suggested by someone. Or is it the people in this room today, or possibly listen to my talk uh, when I release it, um, who simply come along to traditional mass when it is celebrated with the permission of their bishops as part of a diocese provision of the sacraments to the faithful? I asked this question, as I say, but did not receive a simple answer. My experience in Rome, and back here as well, was that if you ask four people this question, you get at least five answers. It does not follow that my time was wasted. On the contrary, this, I thought, was a very significant finding. I was not asking anyone to divulge state secrets. I was hoping to hear a party line. I thought perhaps the Holy Fathers, in a circle, would be telling everyone who would listen some semi-official account of his motivation, and this would ripple outwards through the curia, diplomats, priests, and journalists. What I found was that there is no party line. The well-informed people to whom I spoke were all familiar with the document, of course, and what they were able to say to me in response to my question was their personal reading of it. They read it and they thought, it is most probably group or individual X who is being referred to. And they all came to different conclusions. You may think that this reflects the fact that my contacts were not sufficiently senior, uh, but without betraying any confidences, I was honoured with a short interview with Cardinal Ladaria, then the Prefect of the Congregation for the Faith, who had passed on to the Holy Father the results of the enormous survey of bishops on the subject of the traditional mass, which was supposed to be the evidential basis of traditionis custodes. I also saw Archbishop Roach, Prefect of the Dicastery for Divine Worship, who is tasked with implementing it. Some of you may be familiar with an article by Diana Montagna about a meeting of cardinals, not including Cardinal Ladaria, as it happens, in 2019, which supposedly led to Traditionis Custodes connecting it with the laity. The large size of the previous Chartres pilgrimage 
was mentioned as something deeply alarming. <laughs> Last October, I hadn't read that article, but in any case, I had quite different account of the motivation for moving in on the traditional mass from Cardinal Adaria and Archbishop Roach. That wasn't the reason that they thought that it had been done. It doesn't follow that Miss Montagna's information is wrong. It simply illustrates my point. The people at that meeting thought one thing, other people, also close to the centre of things, have other ideas. The document, Traditionis Custodes, and the documents which followed it don't make the motivation for the restrictions on the traditional mass clear, for the very good reason that they are not clear. There is no official view of what is wrong with the mass, or the priests who celebrated, or the people who attended. And indeed, we are not even directed clearly to any one of these three general areas in which to look for the problem. Traditionis Custodes itself, to be precise, slides between criticisms of the people associated with the Mass, without saying whether these are lay or clerical, we have no idea, to complaining about the very existence of an alternative form of the Roman Rite. If the motivation is unclear, we would expect the goals of the document to be unclear. And that is exactly what we find. Traditionis Custodes speaks about the total suppression of the traditional mass following some period of adjustment. But, contrary to this, Pope Francis has gone on to sign a decree in favour of the fraternity of St Peter, which gives them the right to use the full set of the older books in perpetuity. They will use them, of course, in serving the faithful, so it seems the traditional mass is not going to disappear any time soon. In the meantime, while I was in Rome, I attended a high mass in the older form in the chapel of the throne in St Peter's Basilica, which had received Pope Francis's personal permission. The Basilica authorities have confirmed another such mass to take place on the equivalent date this year. God willing, I'll be there again. Again, in St Peter's, the only way in which a priest can celebrate a private Mass is by getting one of the four daily slots for it in the holiest chapel in the crypt. The chapel uh, just below St Peter's tomb. Not only is the traditional Mass not going away, Pope Francis has not even excluded it from St Peter's Basilica. That is one contradiction. Here's another one. Traditionis Custodes tells us that it is concerned above all with unity, but it also tells bishops not to allow celebrations of the older mass in parish churches. This is clearly an attempt which is reinforced by the subsequent responsa ad dubia to quarantine the traditional faithful, to keep them away from ordinary Catholics who have not yet been tainted with the mind virus of love for the church's ancient liturgy, a love they share with the saints and doctors of the church. By doing so, these documents threaten to create what Pope Francis says he does not want two parallel churches with a minimum of overlap between them. 
If there is no clear motivation and no clear objective, it is pretty difficult for us to come up with a response which addresses the motivation or accommodates the objectives. Should we emphasise that traditional Catholics are often well integrated into their parishes, taking part in parish life? That could make us sound like sneaky entryists. Should we explain that we don't cause problems for the rest of the church, but keep ourselves to ourselves? That could make us sound like radicalised separatists. In the movement for the traditional mass, we have long been confronted with mutually inconsistent complaints. Bishops over the decades who complain that our congregations are too small for their priests to bother with then become seriously alarmed if they grow. (laughs) Traditionalists are told that they are elitist intellectuals one minute and unsophisticated bumpkins the next. We are too old as a group and also too young. We are too inactive in the church and also too active and zealous. We have too many children and at the same time, what we do is not child-friendly. Our liturgies are too polished and not polished enough. As Monsignor Ronald Knox said, any old stick is good enough to beat the Church of Rome. And if it breaks, you've got two. (laughs) But seriously, these are the accusations of people who simply have no idea what we are like, but do know somehow that we are bad. So they just grab the first negative stereotype that comes to hand. The appropriate response to this is not rational arguments. See, these are not rational criticisms but, if possible, dispelling the various false ideas with experience. This is something which has been happening quite naturally as the movement has grown. Bishops and priests and Catholic journalists and others finally get round to meeting some of us or attending some events, and they are generally very pleasantly surprised. It turns out we don't have two heads each after all. It can come as something of a shock. Everyone, in fact, this has happened to many, many people. The Bishop of um, Paris, the Archbishop of Paris, went to visit the Chartres pilgrimage um, one year, um, and he was, he, was, he was shocked that they were kind of nice and kind of <laughs> ordinary and kind of believe the faith. And he gave them benediction, and it was really great. And he just couldn't get over it. And I had a similar experience at the other end of the scale with a tablet journalist who came along to an event. And and she just, she she mentioned to a friend of mine, she didn't realise she was a friend of mine, yeah, it was really strange. They're all really nice. Okay. (laughs) So try and uh, accommodate that into your overall worldview from now on, if you can. However... The present case is not so simple. Ignorance about us certainly plays a part. But there is also something else. The confusion at the heart of Traditionis Gustades and the whole regime created by that document and the others which have followed it is confused and confusing for two other reasons, um, I think. 
One is, as I have suggested in various places before, is that I think that it is a compromise product of a coalition of people who dislike the traditional mass for different reasons. Um, some of you may have seen the great uh, classic film, 12 Angry Men, um, who um, all but one of them have decided that uh, it's a jury, that, that this man, young man's youth is, is guilty of murder. Um, as it turns out, as they're persuaded one by one by the holdout, um, they all have different reason for thinking this. Uh, different, perhaps mutually contradictory reasons, but they have to be persuaded one by one. Um, and that's the, whole, that's the whole film. It's a very static, <laughs> it's a very static film, just in this jury room. Um, so we're in a bit of a situation like that. Some of these people who don't like the traditional mass are deeply committed to this. Uh, some of them not deeply committed at all. For them, it's a very superficial matter. Um, so the sorts of things that might be feeding in here, negative comments from a minority of bishops made to the CDF in their 2019 survey. Um, the ideological commitment of academic liturgists in Rome uh, another factor, along with a certain strand of opinion among Italian bishops, anti-Americanism, and who knows what internal curial politics. Not only is the result of this, these different strands coming together a bit of a mess, but particular supposed objection, objectives of Judicius may be important to some players, but not at all to others. Some of those pushing for traditions, Castellis, may be doing it out of a deep and genuine loathing of the ancient mass on ideological grounds. Others may simply want to strike a pose to ingratiate themselves with a few key people and don't care whether the document actually makes any difference on the ground at all. That is one factor. <laughs> The other is the attitude of Pope Francis himself. For a long time, I was not inclined to take seriously rumours that the Holy Father would restrict the traditional mass. And for a long time, I was right. <laughs> not forever. No one can be right forever, can they? <laughs> For eight years, those rumours came to nothing. It is true that Pope Francis has said rude things about traditionists, but, on the other hand, he's accused curial officials of suffering from spiritual Alzheimer's and accused journalists of coprophagia. Now, there's a word you need to look up when you get home, but don't do it just before you have a meal. Now, of course, Pope Francis has acted, but the occasion for this and the motivation are bafflingly unclear. With Pope Francis, however, this is not an unusual situation. This pontificate has been a succession of puzzling documents and surprising policy changes. <coughs> Pope Francis is not a man who likes to be predictable. It should be noted that in itself, this is a perfectly understandable strategy. Being predictable gives your opponents the chance to prepare, to counter your next move, and predictable statements and actions make little impression on the media or on those who need to be converted. A bit of unpredictability can be very useful. Used in large doses, unfortunately, it has very serious disadvantages as well. But that is not my current concern. 
It is the Pope's way and his inconsistency, unpredictability and unclarity about the traditional mass is consistent with his inconsistency, unpredictability and unclarity about a lot of other things as well. The question for us is how to react to this. There is clearly no chance that Pope Francis or the Dicastery for Divine Worship will change their minds and withdraw or significantly change the documents already promulgated. Any initiative with that as its objective is a waste of time. No Pope would change his mind in such a humiliating fashion. The government of the church is in this way quite different from secular governments, and of course that is usually a good thing. The attitude of future popes is another matter. We will certainly seek to enter into dialogue with future popes as we try with Pope Francis and his predecessors, and not, of course, entirely without success. But we can't make a start on this until we know who that person is. What we can do is try to prepare the battlefield, so to speak, When the next Pope considers the matter of the traditional Mass, he will be faced with certain facts about how many old Masses are still being said, about the vigour or otherwise of the traditional movement, about the relationship between both clergy and laity with their bishops over it, and the views of the bishops themselves. The Pope will have his own ideas, no doubt, but he will certainly take these things into account when deciding how to act. Some of these things we can hope to influence more easily than others. As far as our relationship with the bishops are concerned, we have been thrust back into the situation in the 1970s, when bishops, who were often personally sympathetic with those seeking the traditional mass, felt bound by, to follow the rules set down by Rome. Many of you will be familiar with the story of Father Oswald Baker, the parish priest of Downham Market in East Anglia, who told his bishop that he could not in conscience abandon the traditional mass. He carried on celebrating it. His bishop famously replied, and this is in one of his obituaries that I found, his bishop famously replied that he, the bishop, also had a conscience. (laughs) A lot of conflict could be avoided if the rules were more flexible. And I think a lot of bishops around the world today understand this. They might like the idea of having more control of the traditional mass, but not being able to permit it at all in a vast range of cases is the opposite of having control. It is clear that most bishops who had the old mass in their diocese were not asking for the kinds of rules Traditionis Castellis has introduced, and if consulted again, they will not be asking to keep them. What is essential in the meantime um, is to do two things which unfortunately are in tension with each other. One is that we must not disappear. No concessions will be made in the future to those seeking the traditional mass if no one is seeking the traditional mass. We must continue to support in all the ways we have been doing over the years uh, the mass. And we must keep up all our regular celebrations and special events as much as possible within the rules. Regardless of the restrictions, there is still no shortage of things to do individually or as a society. 
The other thing is that we should try to maintain friendly relations with the bishops where this is possible. As I have suggested, it is clear that many bishops sympathise, at least to some extent, with the faithful and clergy who like the traditional mass and would be happy to have greater freedom to allow us to get on with it. What we don't want is for them to decide, after all, we are just too annoying. We are not going to be assisting bishops who take the stated aim of traditionis custodes to phase out the traditional mass as their own personal project. But if there is a degree of fellow feeling, we need to make the most of it. If we have to disagree, we should do so as politely as possible. I'm not saying anything very shocking here. This has always been the approach of the Latin Mass Society. Nevertheless, it is needed today more than ever.